Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we are talking about Wonka, the new musical starring Timothy Chalamet from uh, Paddington director Paul King, notably. Those movies are very beloved. Uh, we've seen the film. We're going to talk about whether or not it's the Christmas hit everybody thinks it might end up being based on box office returns. Uh, we're going to talk about Poor Things. Uh, the new Yorgos Lanthimos film has been expanded to, get this, 82 theaters in the United States. And Andy and I track one down and watch it. And we're going to tell you about it. We're doing that at the end of the show because obviously it's not as popular as Wonka. But that movie's getting nominated for Oscars. And I, and, and we're going to tell you why. So stick around for the review. we got to talk about Jonathan Majors. New stuff from Jonathan Majors. A Marvel casting bombshell. We're talking about the death of cinema in between our reviews. Stick around for that. Before we all get to that, we need to get to the news. And before we get to the news, a bit of a show news for this special episode 237. Uh, our man Andy is phoning in from Florida, uh, which I really appreciate, and uh, it's it's been <laughs> that's right. Uh, he listen, he has been wrestling demons over there to get this to work. So we're all going to be cool about it, and uh, it shouldn't be a problem, Andy. We appreciate that you're here. So thanks for phoning in. Yeah, absolutely. Wouldn't miss the show for anything. Of course. Uh, our first story this week: uh, a scoop from Axios dropped just before we went live here. Warner Brothers Discovery is in talks to merge with Paramount. Global Warner Brothers might might acquire Paramount. I mean, it's a merger, but Warner Brothers is twenty nine billion dollars. Paramount is ten, and they are desperately hurting to offload debt and get out of some deals they're trapped in right now. Andy, what 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 is this about? Is this real? Is this actually going to happen? I just want to start out with saying, as predicted on off script, uh, the streaming wars would end in consolidation, and that's what's starting to happen now. Uh, Paramount is really struggling. Uh, with its service and just as a company as a whole it's it this actually came about because uh it was actually already in talks to kind of be cut up and sold for parts um and this is when <laughs> david zasloff the the great destroyer as we call him sw is swooped in to see if uh they could possibly acquire paramount which would be paramount and, and i think showtime uh, together, which would ideally combine their services and all their content uh, as well. That's right. Cable slumlord David Zaslav has overtaken HBO with his Discovery content, and now he may be coming for Paramount, too. Apparently, he's already met with Paramount Global CEO Bob Backish. He's also spoken to Sherry Redstone, who owns Paramount's parent company, NAI. And NAI has been trying to make money. Axios has the whole run-up here. It's great. You should check it out. Uh, they uh, sold Simon & Schuster, which they owned, the publishing company. Uh, they, they're looking to sell BET. They got to they got they got to make funds. And when they were just talking about getting acquired by what Skydance, I think was going to buy a share, their stock went up yeah. like twelve percent. Like Par Paramount is is bleeding, and it's a bummer, right? Because they need the help. And for what it's worth, I think they've got some properties that Warner Brothers would probably like. Variety's got the punch up here. Let me just list a couple of these for you, Andy. Let me list let me list some Paramount properties. So we can just right, be excited right. about the idea of what Warner Brothers might be working with, right? Uh, Terminator, Transformers, Mission Impossible, A Quiet Place, Star Trek, Scream, <laughs> Scream, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Top Gun, Paranormal Activity, The Godfather, G.I. Joe, Friday the 13th, all yours and more if you can be the studio that acquires Paramount. But... It's probably worth mentioning. I think there might be some like straight up anti-monopoly moves around that because like that those are two really big studios, right? That's a lot of power. I mean, they'd be acquiring Tom Cruise functionally. I mean, it's huge. <laughs> I mean, yes and no. Like I said, Paramount is much smaller. It's really struggling, and while these studios are very storied, uh, they're not the 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 behemoths that Netflix and Disney are in that that space or newcomers like Apple and Amazon Prime. So even though everyone knows Paramount is a film studio much for a much longer time, it's actually a much smaller purchase. Um that would be that would definitely make Max a lot more attractive than it's been lately. Yeah, I mean, it's not a bad idea, I think, for content libraries. Not to mention, uh there's there's a mention here of, of children's networking. Uh Warner Brothers would be acquiring Nickelodeon, which is insane, right? Like SpongeBob SquarePants, Avatar the Last Airbender, like the the amount of like content that comes in that that I didn't even think about, it like would be but it's a big deal. Obviously, we'll report more if something happens, but it sounds like there's a lot of movement around this. This it sounds like it might 
Sounds like it might be happening. I don't know. Keep it here on Offscript for more. Uh, our next story from the box office. Uh, Wonka is doing surprisingly well. And I don't think people are surprised because it is... Well, people aren't that surprised because it's a holiday feature around the holiday. But I think people are surprised that a musical is doing as well as it is, right? Not to mention one that I think is not necessarily nostalgia bait. Who's asking for a Wonka prequel? But here we are. Andy, what's happening at the box office? Uh... Wonka is uh, sweetening, <laughs> sweetening the box office this weekend. Sorry, it's the best I could do, pun-wise. Um, coming good. in at 100, 100, $150 million globally, about $40 million domestic. Uh, not a massive, massive opening, but impressive for the weekend. And uh, the budget for this was about $150 million, so it, we're already at kind of parity with its budget. It probably needs to earn another $100 million to come out even with its its marketing uh, but it could definitely be kind of a holiday win. It could be a, there. There isn't a lot of um, competition as we've been discussing lately. Big releases this week are Aquaman, uh, so we'll see. We'll see how that that fares against it. Uh, audiences are liking it. Families are liking it. It's critically approved, so it's doing pretty well. I'm really charmed by this like small bump, the small uptick they're reporting in uh, women 18 to 24 going to see Wonka. They're saying it's because young girls are quote particularly taken with Timothy Chalamet, <laughs> which uh, might be true. But like my man brings the smoke, and uh, we're gonna talk about Wonka in just a second here. We'll talk about his performance in it, but I don't think people are at all you know drawn away from what he's doing. Like he's not too pompous. I think people like him. And for what it's worth, like Paul King is a successful director, at least over in England where the film uh, opened early and uh, to great fanfare, it seemed. Critics were giving it five stars over there. Everybody seemed to be warm on Wonka. And it's funny because like I, I talked about this a few weeks ago on the show. Like I particularly was not warm on Wonka, but seeing where it's been going, seeing critic reviews, A- minus cinema score, it seems for all intents and purposes, this is going to be the holiday film of... December, right? But we were talking about just what uh, a couple nights ago, Andy. Uh, we, we were hanging out, chatting, and and there isn't really like a central Christmas feature this year. There's no Avatar in in, in theaters right now. This is kind of it, right? Yeah, it's, in a lot of years, you've had you know things like The Force Awakens or The Last Jedi or Spider Man No Way Home, Avatar Two. So you've had these big, huge tent poles for people to get behind. Uh, over the Christmas break, it's a really smart time to put out a big movie, and we don't really have a huge movie. Like the big titles, like I said, are Aquaman, which is kind of apparently it's dead on arrival, um, and The Color Purple, which is more of an Oscar film, and it's it's going to be it's just a smaller thing. It's not a big, huge budget uh, production, and and we don't really have another big one like that. So theaters are a little worried. Yeah, I tell you what though, Color Purple looks good. That final trailer looks better. And like I said at the top, uh, Yorgos Lanthimos's Poor Things has expanded to 82 theaters in the United States in its second week, earning 1.3 million dollars, which I'm hearing is setting some kind of small record for like highest demand in theater, like for tickets sold. But that's because the people who want to see it, the the freaks like us, can't find any place to go see it except like one or two local theaters. So. Uh, we'll talk about that at the end of the episode. Like I said, please stick around for the review. Dude, the poor, poor things is absolutely worth talking about. Very excited to talk about poor things. But before we get to it, we need to talk about our next film. Uh, Wonka is the movie. I'm going to be taking the summary on this one. So please excuse my clumsy delivery. The movie is Wonka. So Wonka is the prequel to uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the old uh, Roald Dahl adaptation starring Gene Wilder, who, of course, immortalized the role of Willy Wonka as this kooky chocolatier who's giving away his factory to one of six special children who possess golden tickets found in his chocolate bars. Uh, Wonka is set quite a few years before and follows Timothy Chalamet as the titular Willy Wonka, a young man who's just arrived from port, uh, having sought his fortune in chocolate recipes and who's discovered these incredible ways to make people laugh and smile and feel all these emotions through the magic of chocolate and charity. Uh, he arrives to find that he is basically completely destitute and has nowhere to stay but uh, Mrs. Scrubbits, uh, which is a uh, kind of laundromat hotel where he meets a couple of fine friends and hopes to set out to uh, create a chocolate shop uh, that, that's going to be the biggest one in the whole world, right? The most magical place. But it turns out this small town is run by three evil chocolatiers, right? And nefarious individuals uh, who would much rather see Wonka ruined 
then celebrate the special uh, abilities of his chocolate that is created with love and ingredients uh, far and wide. Lots of music, lots of magic, and, and Timothy Chalamet, who of course is not known to be a song and dance man, but I think national audiences, but apparently has a pretty big theater background, uh, is singing and dancing through the whole feature. Uh, it is a Paul King film, director's uh, director Paddington 1 and 2, uh, obviously very beloved. Uh, I gotta know, Andy, what did you think of Wonka? So overall, I, I liked it. I think it's a big triumph for kind of younger audiences, for family films. Uh, it's definitely the kind of thing to see over the holidays. Uh, like I said, safe fun for the whole family. It it gets a it's a little long, and I think it gets a little slow. Kind of gets bogged down in exposition. Uh, funny enough for a kids film, but it it has the things it does right. It does so well, like the sets, the song and dance, the the spectacle of it all, the songs, the music. Uh, and it it it's perfect thing to to take the kids to. See, and that's one of the things we were discussing. Like, I, I am not the target audience for this, and I think it's a total win for the target audience um, that's interested in it. Wonka's a uniquely humble feature, I think. Because, yeah, it's got a big budget, $150 million. But I think it comes from a place of authenticity. Nobody was asking for a, a Willy Wonka prequel, right? Like, and everybody remembers the Johnny Depp, Tim Burton one that I think if you were born after, like, 2002, you probably were into because that was kind of the, the one you were coming up with. But... Anybody a little older than that is probably not so much into that one. Uh, everybody thinks of the Wilder performance. So it's weird that Paul King is a part of this script and wants to direct this feature um, about Willy Wonka, right? Like, who who, who, re who really cares? Who's, who's going digging in the Willy Wonka well? Um, but apparently Paul King is, and he, he wanted to put this feature together. I don't know how he got Timothy Chalamet on board, but Chalamet seems to be really authentic as this outgoing kooky weirdo Willy Wonka right this traveler who's zany but also very sincere like and struggles with his own set of problems like I think he manages to take the best parts of Wilder's performance and tone them down and and wheel them back to a, a younger more endearing version of who ends up being a cynic in in the in the, in the later film or at least acting like it um like I think he does a good job and even if his singing's a little auto-tuned you know like he 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 he's belting the notes he's putting the, he's putting the time in and i think that helps carry him through as as wonka i think that's why people are mostly charmed by him yeah chalamet has mostly done pretty serious roles like he broke out with uh call me by your name and did a lot of kind of the oscar independent films and then is in more you know big stuff like dune and that's how we kind of know him as a very serious actor but he's apparently much more like a theater kid like he's all about like the song and dance production which we really haven't uh, been able to see on screen uh up until this time and he does a great job he doesn't overdo it he's not trying to you know i i thought of this like you know comparing it to something like the joker he's not trying to redefine the character or the performance or give a you know um, like a jack sparrow kind of flair to him he's just you know a young cho chocolatier with you know magical dreams of of creating chocolate and it, it's it's the perfect medium like he because it would be a mistake to i think to try to overdo it and he does it um and it fits in with the rest of of what is a really great cast we have olivia coleman as mrs scrubbit being extra british keegan michael key is the chief of police um who, who's got a lot of good gags he kind of gets he slowly gets bigger over the course of the movie because he just can't stop eating chocolate um and then you have these three like the chocolate cartel that they ca call them which are these three businessmen and uh they're all played b by really interesting character actors really overdoing in that extra like you know dastardly mustache twirl kind of villain that they are it's it's the cast is, is outstanding and i think that's one of the things that like it's going to really work with younger audiences yeah uh in the loosest way i had this like inkling of mad max fury road when i was watching this because you've got your uh wayward traveler of myth right who wanders in from out of town and you've got your like three evil lords who run everything and in mad max it's like what the bullet farmer and the gas man and this it's slugworth and prodnose and fickle gruber and i was like oh this is great dude like 
Totally work. Obviously, it's nothing like Mad Max, but I should say, yeah, the cast is particularly charming. Yeah, you've got Chalamet, Keiko Michael Key, who's done a ton of musical work over on Schmigadoon on Apple TV Plus. I think that's that show. Uh, Olivia Coleman with the extra weird teeth, and Tom Davis is Bleacher, this like giant oversized guy. Cal uh, Lane is Noodle, uh, who's kind of Wonka's young friend who he meets at this. Uh, ho- I'm loose to say hotel he's staying at, but uh, this kind of laundromat that he, he's working at, and uh, along with a handful of other charming characters, everybody's fun. As far as I should say, the music goes. Well, I want to talk about that a second. The music is fine. Uh, I think the movie overuses pure imagination, maybe one or two too many times. It opens on its production slates with it. Its credits are pure imagination. It, it's got a few tones of it throughout the movie that kind of drift in when people are having emotional moments. And I'm glad that, it, like I said, it's like the the old one from the 80s. I think that's a good thing. Um, but like it, 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 it maybe just goes one too many times. Other than that, uh, you do get your Oompa Loompa track. And then otherwise all new music, none of which is particularly memorable. I, I guess a, a, a couple of those tracks are a little toe-tapping when you're watching it. But like I could not hum you a single track. A sing single the original theme. song. <laughs> yeah, sing the Wonka theme. I can't do it. Can't do it. Uh, it's fun music. It looks great visually. Paul King really puts in the extra effort on these musical numbers, especially for the more imaginative work. But like, as far as the actual music goes, it is fine. It's good. It's not great. It's just it's fine. Good. Good music. Yeah, and that's how I felt. Like the the songs aren't super memorable. You don't have a big number, and yeah, you are waiting the the whole movie for pure imagination. There was another movie he did this recently where they would just kind of play like half the theme. And until the until like the very end, basically, it's it's an annoying thing because you're like, just do it, just sing the song, so we can move on with our lives. I kind of wanted to get into our plot, which is a little complicated. Uh, Willy Wonka ends up kind of in debtor's prison very early on, and has to, you know, he's been condemned to a life of, of cleaning sheets along with uh, five other unfortunate souls, and they have to devise a scheme to both uh, wash sheets and also secretly sell chocolate and overthrow the chocolate cartel. There's a lot of, of fun and games and, like I said, over-the-top numbers and, and characters. It gets a little wordy. I, I felt like the first act was kind of long. Like, this is a full two hours. Um, act one's kind of long. There's a whole lot of talking. There's also a whole lot of dead parents in this, which is it's a very Disney thing to do, but uh, a whole lot of people missing their parents in this movie, uh, yearning yearning for them. But that's some strangely standard for children's movies. Mm-hmm. Um, the plot gets a little overcomplicated, and we don't really get much. It's not an origin story of like it's not like how he became Willy Wonka. It's just kind of a young version of him. Yeah, and I was really charmed by the sprinkling of like themes and elements from the original here without being too direct. Cause the obvious stuff is like Hugh Grant as Noopa Loompa, which didn't work for me. I'm sure for the kids it's a hundred percent fine, but there's just some weird thing about the shrunken face on the CGI body that just never pulls me. It's like my eyes glaze over watching it. Like it just doesn't, I, 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 I suddenly I'm sitting in a movie theater and I'm out of the movie. It's fine. I'm, I'm old. Valley. It's right. Movie's not made for a 30, 32 year old. It's fine. Uh, anyway, uh, it, like the Wonka hat, the cane, that stuff you expect. The stuff that's really charming that I didn't expect is things like our setting, this like European town that isn't really inspired by any one place. It looks like France, but then the people have English accents, but then the police are dressed like they're in Italy. And that really fits with that old movie because that old movie is like when they go up in the great glass elevator, you can tell it's a European town, but everybody speaks American English, which is really weird, and and it just it's like it's odd setting. Uh, in the factory, you get these kooky machines of like giant whirly gigs and 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 Rube Goldberg type devices with big shoes on sticks and all kinds of stuff. And that happens again in our film when we're running, working at the laundromat, and Wonka needs a way to get laundry moved faster. Well, it creates this this machine, you know. Our our charming chocolates, right? Our everlasting gobstoppers in the old one look like these weird kooky multicolored things you'd eat. And every piece of candy in this movie looks the same way. It looks like this really charming, colorful something that you see at a confectionery and think, oh my God, it's got to be the best thing ever. Um, I like the way this movie does not just like Force Awakens its way through the plot. It does not just rewrite the first movie. It gives you a fresh spin, fresh plot, but it just peppers those things in there. 
Like you, we'll, we'll have a change of scene and suddenly you see something that looks like it fell right out of the first one. Even I mean, we were talking about this the other day, even Keegan-Michael Key, like slowly swelling over the course of the film as he continues to eat the chocolate of uh, our, our, our three nefarious chocolatiers and do what they say. Uh, that is a lot like Violet Beauregard turned into a, a blueberry. Like the movie's full of them, full of these things. And like, I think that stuff's really clever, especially for the older people in the audience like myself who have seen the old one, right? Like it, it manages to feel fresh while lifting the most charming parts of that old movie. I think it's great. I think it's part of the reason it's getting such good reviews. Yeah. I think part of what also works is that there are a whole lot of practical sets and effects and um, sequences that, that really highlight, you know, that they're not shooting on, you know, Marvel screen seven with just 110 uh, screen. What's, what's the video game background thing called that they do? No oh God! What buying assets? Yeah, from the Unreal Engine. Well, store no, it's when they instead of using instead of using green screen, they have like LED panels in in the back. That's oh, the that's volume. What they're not yeah, they're not just shooting in the volume, that. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Um. Yeah. So it's a lot of real sets, and and of course, I mean, there's a lot of magical stuff. So there is there are digital effects, but they're used smartly. They're not overdone. A lot of like the costumes are practical. A lot of the sets. A lot of the the numbers, it's just good old kind of fashion stage work combined. So I I think it's a good mix of those things. It's gonna it's gonna give it life. It's not gonna get get old after a year or two. Yeah, like I think that's that comes through in Paul King. Like that's something that really stands the test of time about those Paddington features. Like a lot of it, you know, exteriors and stuff will be shot on green screen, sure, but like so much of it feels tangible because he manages to put us in a world of texture and color and light like that we want to spend time with these characters who are uniquely magical and much like Paddington coming in from Peru like Wonka kind of drifting in to seek his fortune and kind of discover the world through the kindness of strangers right and and to, to be kind to others like ultimately is a surprisingly endearing message that I think is heartwarming for those of us who are maybe a little cynical on this feature like I said I went in thinking like okay yeah Wonka it's getting good reviews sure but I tell you, by the end of that first act, I was pretty pretty locked in. I was pretty there for it. It's a little long at two hours, I think. But uh, like Andy pointed out just the other day, great babysitter, right? You got kids, you need to throw something on. Well, you could you could do far worse than Wonka. I would wager to say this might be one of the best kids' movies of the year, if anything, because a parent could watch it and not be bored to tears. You know what I mean? There's some, there's some decent stuff in there, especially if you're familiar with that old one, I think. But I, I may be running out of things to say about it. Andy, what are, any other thoughts before we wrap it up? Well, I was just going to say, because I recently watched a little bit of Trolls World Tour, and, you know, that's definitely tough to watch <laughs> as an adult, even with, like, the millennial music. Um, but Wonka is much more charming and endearing, and I think much more palatable for parents and kids alike, for sure. That's right. Uh, Andy, would you recommend Wonka? I would. It, it's a great uh, family and children's feature. Um, great cast uh, with... Timothy Chalamet in the title role, fun sets, good. You know, the music's good enough. It's a little long, and it the plot is a little convoluted, uh, but it's a lot of fun, and it, and it's a great kind of holiday movie. Uh, I'm in the same boat. I think Wonka's solid. Uh, good date movie, good holiday movie, good movie to take the fam to. Uh, it will probably be the film most families are checking out on Christmas, right? Christmas Day is the busiest day at movie theaters in the United States. This will probably be the thing people are walking into. And you could do far worse. It's not bad. Like, I think it's good. I don't think it's great. I, I do find myself a little surprised by critics who have been like five full stars. Like, I, I like it a lot, um, but I don't think it's, you know, it's, it's, it, it's not going to win Oscars. That's what I think. I, it won't yeah. win, it's fine. It, what? Yeah. It's, it's good. fine. It's good. And fine good. is not a bad word. It's a good movie. That's right. Listen, God, don't don't ever say something is not bad on YouTube. My God, will you get roasted? We should know. It's good. Wonka is good. That's the review. Wonka's good. All right. We've done it. We've reviewed Wonka. Andy, we got to talk about uh, something much more nefarious. This is something we've covered on the show before, uh, but it's a bit of a bombshell this week because we finally have some real news about it. We have some definitive answers, I think, a judgment. Andy, uh, uh, what do we call this segment? It's time for the death of cinema. So huge news out of the Jonathan Majors trial. 
this week. Uh, he was officially found guilty on some some charges. Also not guilty on other charges. We'll get into that into a second bullet. But um, his trial started at the end of November. This was involving the, the assault or alleged assault of his girlfriend, Grace Jabari, at the time. Uh, we've been watching this real closely. This The incident happened back in March and um, been following it along. And now it's here. He was officially found uh, guilty of reckless assault in the third degree and guilty of harassment. These are both uh, misdemeanors. And he faces up to a, a year in prison. We'll see what that is. And it's important, I do want to mention, that he was also found not guilty of... Oh, I forgot. Oh, um, not guilty of intentional assault in the third degree and not guilty of aggravated harassment in the second degree. We are not a law podcast. We're not going to get into what yes. uh, the minutia of all that is. But um, it, he he has been found guilty and he has also since been officially dropped from Marvel, which we were all kind of waiting for. So that that's the huge story with him. Yes. Uh, since his arrest in March, uh, Majors has been dropped by his talent manager, Entertainment 360, and his publicity firm. Uh, he's had projects that he was a part of. The U.S. Army pulled a major ad campaign, uh, as did the Texas Rangers baseball team. They're both featuring him. Uh, he did a Spike Lee project called The Understudy for Amazon and a Dennis Rodman film that are in limbo. I don't know if he actually shot those or not, but uh, most importantly, he is Kang. Right, he is the fundamental villain that the Marvel Universe has been propping up its basically entire strategy against for the last I don't know year and a half, two years. Uh, we were looking at D twenty three last year; they had a big timeline out. Like the Avengers, the Kang Dynasty is coming out in twenty twenty five. Right, Quantum Mania is going to be the Kang movie. He's going to be Victor Timely in Loki season two. He's going to be the guy, and now. It's not happening. It's a weird thing. It's a weird thing because Marvel waited till six people in New York decided this guy's fate to decide, to say yes or no, we're done with him. When everybody else jumped ship, Disney was like, no, no, hold on. Let's wait. You know, judge, jury, executioner. And it's additionally a weird thing because it is such a big deal in a series that I think a lot of Americans start to feel is maybe... Maybe starting to slip a little, right? Maybe Marvel movies aren't quite as hot as they used to be. Uh, and they just had the bottom dropped out from them by losing who was supposed to be their tentpole actor, it seems, uh, for a while. And it's not all bad. Obviously, we still got our superheroes. But Andy, big news out of Marvel, right? Uh, what, what do you think? Initial thoughts here? Yeah. I mean, to quote The Dark Knight, we bet it all on him. And... <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, this is a serious case, and in some ways, it's the the silver lining is that they have not filmed any of these major uh, projects yet with majors, unlike um, with Ezra Miller and the Flash movie. They had already filmed that or filmed most of it, and they'd already dumped $200 million into it, so they couldn't really like ditch him as much as they wanted him to. Um, so it's a perfect time for Marvel to p pivot either to another actor, um, which has been discussed, or just pivot to another major character like Dr. Doom, which a lot of people want to happen or, or someone else in entirely or in a new direction. But luckily for them, they haven't moved in any one real direction. They could just kind of, you know, they could hand wave it all and say, Oh, Kang was defeated by whatever. And then here's our new big villain. Um, but they definitely have some, some tough decisions to make because I know they had already kind of started writing these next two Avengers films which apparently they're already renaming from the Kang Dynasty to Avengers Five. Uh, they're already already changing, uh, and this goes to show, along with um, DC, uh, you can have your cinematic universe can fall apart real easy, and when it does, you can just be stuck holding the bag. Because that's what what's happened with DC is that they, uh, you know, James Gunn was hired, and then he's got to promote four films that no one wants to watch, which is been this whole year and now the same thing with uh the mcu and jonathan majors now the studio has to completely pivot everything they're doing and who knows what, how much that's going to throw everything off um with having to find a new actor or a new big character it's so frustrating to see what feel like what used to be like large tentpole franchises who see i mean it seemed like there was a time where marvel couldn't miss dude 
Like they put out Thor two and people were still like, not bad. You know what I mean? Like a movie that nobody really reflects on Thor two. Loki obviously is stunned from that work, but like there was a time when even Marvel's like weak movies were still solid. Star Wars had this same phenomenon, right? Like you couldn't put out a bad Star Wars movie. Everybody loved it. And now we've gotten to a point where it seems like, I don't want to say a lack of proper planning, right? That's silly. You can never plan for your, for one of your lead actors or actresses to do something horrible. I get that. Like that's that nobody, nobody can build a plan around that. You can't build a business around it. I understand it, yeah. but like, it just feels like there's no, this, this illusion of like a larger plan where it's all structured and, and put together is such a farce. And it's like, nobody's at the controls. You guys are nine different creative teams, all just throwing ideas at a wall. And you're just seeing what you think people will buy tickets to the most for. And you've been doing that for four years and now nobody wants Kang, and I don't know what I don't know what the move is here. I guess recast him, well, right? I, I don't know. It also just took so long to get to his projects because I mean he was introduced two years ago in the the first Loki series and just resurfaced this year in the Ant Man movie and Loki season two. So it's like you've taken forever to get to this character, you know, because they could have theoretically, if they had waited to introduce Kang or just because that's what they did with Thanos. They hinted at him, but they waited a pretty long time before he was actually on screen. And that's, but they kind of jumped the gun and they either should have just waited before they brought him out or made those movies sooner than you would have just kind of been done. Although in hindsight, that's probably better that he's not the face of their, their big villains. What do you think is the next move for Marvel? Do they recast? They pivot to doom. What do you think? Let's hear it. Off script. Fingers I, on the I pulse th- of cinema. We never get it wrong. I'm sure I'm sure we'll predict this correctly. The easiest thing is to recast. They've recast in the in the MCU before. Um Terrence Howard was famously recast by Don Cheadle uh as uh War Machine. Edward Norton was replaced by Mark Ruffalo as the Hulk. Like you can recast, and that's probably the easier thing storyline. The big question is who? I agree. You caught here. Let me tell you how this goes down. Number one, Kevin Feige takes a deep breath. Relax. We're going to get through this. Number two, you call up Lakeith Stanfield's agent. All right. And you tell him we'll pay any price. Right. I just, I just need my boy uh, to come out and fix this for us. I don't know if Disney will work. I don't know if Lakeith Stanfield will work with Disney again, man. My man kind of got turned by Haunted Mansion, but regardless, um, I think recasting is the move. Uh, like I and, and I love Doctor Doom, but dude, let's be honest. Marvel has missed more villains than they've hit. All right, I could, I, I, you could, you could fill a small coffee table book with the number of forgettable Marvel villains out there versus the number of memorables. Right, X Men me- messed up Dark Side. Like, well, Justice League messed up Dark Side. X Men messed up, messed up Apocalypse. I can't even keep them all together anymore. And I know one of those DCs, and I know one of those X-Men, but we're saying, while Dr. Doom is cool, there's a lot of potential to mess up Dr. Doom. So I think let's pivot on Kang, all right? Stay the course, and then we'll do the Dr. Doom thing in a couple years. That's the move, I think. You just recast Kang, whatever. You say he's the man of a million faces. <laughs> it's fine. Like, And in, in the meantime, man, uh, Jonathan Majors may be... Might be the biggest fall off ever, right? I mean, not like ever, but like in recent memory in Hollywood, as far as up and comers go, uh, my man, it's going to take a few years for him to recover from this. More than a few, I think, if he does recover. Yeah, um, it's going to be rough. It's going to be rough. definitely rough for him. Um, you know, I, I don't want to ever really, you know, I think people deserve a road to redemption, um, and he's going to have to do a lot of work to, you know, Oh, come back yeah. into the the public the public eye, but um, <laughs> it has been done by far worse people. Yo, far oh, dude, more than once. Yeah, so, Mel Gibson's still I, getting work. Like, oh, dude, yeah, Hollywood will forgive all kinds of junk after a decade. Like, it'll be he he will show up he'll be in back. some project. He'll be back. Yeah, Kevin Spacey's I, I don't think he's still toast. working. He he will go to therapy and Mark, dude, M- Marky Mark, Mark Wahlberg. Have you seen the guy? Did you see what he said? Good God, like. The fact that he is getting work in Christian films now, like just goes to show uh, Majors has some runway. Uh, I, yeah, but good God that the Marvel fumble has really been something incredible. And I guess that's just what I wanted to say. I want to talk about it for a minute. Glad we could. But the death cinema is all about. And with that, we should talk about our final film of the episode. This movie is so unique, dude. And I'm so excited to talk about it. This one's for the weird ones. Andy, uh, please <laughs> take, take, take it away. 
poor things. So this is the long-awaited film from director Yorgos Lanthimos, who previously did The Favorite, Killing of a Sacred Deer, The Lobster, and those kinds of really off-the-wall films. He returns with Emma Stone as Bella Baxter, who is in, in a somewhat Frankensteinian uh, role where, where she has been created. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but she basically has been reanimated and she has the mind of a child, but is accelerating learning the world very quickly. Um, through, through the time, uh, she's been created by Willem Dafoe's, uh, Dr. Godwin Baxter, who they just call God, uh, as, as short. Um, and he wants to study her. He wants to see, you know, he's a scientist. He wants to see how she adjusts to the world, but Bella grows up very fast and, and she, begins to feel very imprisoned by her situation. They don't let her out, of course, because she's, um, you know, she's essentially a child and she doesn't know the ways of the, of the world. She doesn't understand, like, a polite society, which gets referenced a lot. Eventually, they can't really contain her. and She's kind of too unruly to just keep in a cage. And she eventually breaks out into the world. Uh, she meets Mark Ruffalo's uh, character, Duncan who is uh, a man of the world and looking to take advantage, advantage of her, but realizes he, he really can't, and that Bella will not be controlled as easily as many men in her life uh, attempt to make her. Uh, it, it's a really fascinating movie. That's our, that's our plot setup. I'm not going to say too much more past that. Um, it's really bizarre in a lot of ways in the performances, in the, the, the choices of things like lens, the setting, the set design. Really incredible stuff. Can't wait to talk about it. Zach, what'd you think? Uh, so Poor Things has got to be one of the weirdest movies of the year, right? Like, it's so odd. At, at, at its surface level, it reminds me of, like, the best parts of Weird Tim Burton. You know what I mean? Insane production design, wild costumes, way out there performances, all, of course, from Yorgos Lanthimos, uh, director of, God, The Lobster, The Favorite, uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer, all films we've watched and covered on this show. Please go back and listen to the views if you like this one. Uh, Yorgos Lanthimos is such an odd dude, man, and I love that this has got to be uniquely his most strange out there feature, but also I think maybe his most accessible because while those other movies are bonkers weird, it's almost entirely script. The visuals are pretty down to earth. Favorite gets weird, but it's not that odd. This one, I think, has this freshness to it as we experience the world through Bella Baxter's very new eyes. Like, really interesting, really weird. I'm really excited to talk about it. Boy, I, I'm nobody's going to get to see this movie because it's not in theaters anywhere, Andy. It sucks. Yeah, we, we really struggled to find this. We had to go to the flagship uh, Cinemark. Shout out to Cinemark West Plano. Uh, Dude, that place is to nice. See this. Yeah, um, wasn't playing anywhere. It's it's a fascinating movie. It it actually pairs well with Barbie because they're both these Pinocchio like stories. Uh, there's been a lot of comparisons to Frankenstein, which it's that, but it's also definitely the Pinocchio story about this uh, person going out into the world, being naive of it, but but also somehow being more enlightened of it because of that ignorance. Like B Bella doesn't, she doesn't know how to behave in polite society. Like she speaks from mind exactly what's on her mind no matter like how crass or how inappropriate um you know she spits food out at the table um because it doesn't taste good instead of just like you know swallowing it or just maybe disposing of it in a napkin like she's very um you know just does what her simple mind kind of thinks but the thing is she's also she gets smarter as the film goes on like she's she's learning an accelerated race of so like things like her vocabulary improves her thought process her you know, philosophy. And it's interesting because she's exposed to kind of a wide world of ways of living. Like she has, uh, Mark Ruffalo's Duncan Wedderburn, who's this brilliant charlatan. Like, you know, she learns his very kind of hedonistic way of, of life. And then she meets these, uh, other people on, on a ship. And, uh, she learns the kind of nihilistic philosophy of one of the passengers and uh, other people. When she goes to, to Paris, she has, all these really wide experiences to kind of learn all, all aspects of life. Really charming cast here, uh, led by, I should, I'll go, I'll go in reverse order. I should say not led by uh, Rami Youssef as Max McCandles, who is a young 
physician who's studying under Dr. Godwin Baxter, our, our strange and eccentric scientist played by Willem Dafoe, who's like Duke going like big Willem Dafoe. You know what I mean? Real weird, big facial prosthetics. He's got his own horrifying backstories that are unique and strange and full of body horror uh, that, that really encapsulate the kind of person he is and his home where uh, our first act takes place where Bella Baxter is coming up. Uh, it's weird kooky walls and weird paint and textures. And there's odd animal creatures walking around that have been spliced together like Frankenstein creatures. Of course, it is delight to watch Mark Ruffalo doing something that's not just like Marvel dad again. You know what I mean? Like yeah. people forget that Mark Ruffalo is in David Venture's Zodiac. He's in my Scorsese shutter Island, right? He's in uh, uh God, that movie with uh, about, about the priests and the, the, Mark, Mark, uh, I don't remember. I'm doing that. I can't remember. He, anyway, Mark Ruffalo remember, does weird sorry. stuff sometimes. And I know it'll come to me as soon as I'm done with this thing. Uh, he does weird stuff sometimes. It's nice to hear him doing it again as the ho- horrifically predatory Duncan Wedderburn, but also the laughably la- laughable loser. Like just this great performance. But it, I think it's got to be held down by Emma Stone as Bella Baxter, who is going to be nominated for every acting award for this and might likely should win it. I think the movie's too weird and she won't, but she is incredible as this childlike wide eyed Bella Baxter character who is finding herself and learning about the world and acting as this vehicle in which we can turn a mirror on society. Right. And people can tell her Bella, you can't have another slice of cake. That's, that's not polite. And you can't, well, you can't just stay inside and read a book all day. You have to go do things. That's what people do in society. And we can realize that we ourselves are the poor things. Not so much. Uh, Dr. Godwin's strange creations. Uh, Emma Stone's incredible in this. She's incredible. Yeah. Amazing performance because she, it's very physical because she, uh, like she stumbles around when she's first walking. She doesn't really know how to walk the entire film. She never really is ever graceful in, in her, her walk. That's that Frankenstein thing. She's like learning her body and it, it starts out very, like she's really uncoordinated, like doesn't know how to sit, doesn't know how to like lay in a chair and, um, you know, falls a lot, but she becomes more coordinated the longer the film goes. Interesting of her kind of, the first act is in black and white and then we shift uh to color but but she also just her mannerisms her her facial expressions uh her her speech cuz especially at first like she cannot talk at all and then she very quickly learns <laughs> learns rudimentary language but it it it's a long performance in in that way as well um really amazing though yeah incredible and and ultimately like i love the way we see the world Bella Baxter sees, right? That's why we've got this like super saturated, but also like oddly desaturated world that we see things through. Uh, a bunch of the beginning of the film is in black and white, right? As, as, as Bella grows, we too grow to see the larger world around her. And as she kind of goes on this journey, it is an adventure film, right? We're going out and coming back. Um, we get to see the wider parts of kind of culture and how it works, right? Not only like, Way, how I would the difference between uh customers and wait staff at a nice restaurant in Paris to also like the difference between like the rich and the poor uh and this leads to some very 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 funny very funny uh situations in which Bella is struggling to understand like why people have to put up with certain things she functionally is playing like the id here she is just speaking her mind as any as as anybody would uh just free of thoughts of others and and thoughts of self like just hey here's exactly how I feel. It's really delightful. Sometimes that's throwing a tantrum when she wants in the slice of pie. Other times that's, um, I guess we should, we should probably mention the wild sexual acts. Uh, this is a hard R rated feature and there's no, yeah, no better way to jump into it than that hard R and thank God bless them that we, we we go see a movie from somebody who is not afraid of the, of the R rating leans all the way in, or I should say, uh, it makes her want to stay up and dance all night or I, I don't know, like embrace socialism as an ideology, like very funny, very meta. A, a good time, I think, for any intelligent film goer. I think you will enjoy watching Poor Things. Yeah, I was going to say uh, that there's been some controversy about uh, that part. Some people, like, you know, I heard about people walking out, leaving the theater, which I always know it's going to be a good <laughs> a good thing. Uh, uh, you know, in a fun film, if, if people are doing that, throwing up in the aisles, I always like to say, 
no, there are a lot of um, explicit sex scenes, but that's part of the, um, it's part of the, the theme because like one of the things Bella does is she's experiencing life as she, you know, her sexuality and discovering her own sexuality is part of the, uh, her journey. And it's a big commentary on women and women and just like the society we live in. Um, it, it's also, like I said, some people have been upset about uh, the sex scenes, but I, I think one thing that was interesting to me is it's not, it's not like the erotic thrillers of the nineties where, where you're trying to like arouse the audience, uh, that sort of thing. It's just very matter of fact, you know, compared to the, um, you know, her eat, wanting to eat as much pie as she wants. And, and then she gets sick. <laughs> um, she kind of is like that with everything. She, um, takes everything to the, to the extreme to kind of find out where the limits are. Um, so I, I thought there are a lot of those scenes, but I think it's handled very well. And, and it's very meaningful as part of like the character's journey and the story it's telling. Uh, just some final thoughts for recommendations from me. Uh, incredible soundtrack, weird, kooky synthesizer, tons of fun. Yep. Wild performances all around. And also for anybody out there, I think who wants to get a crash course and like what it means to have like distinctive lens choice, Please watch a Yorgos Lanthimos feature, specifically this one, if possible. And if you can't, watch The Favorite. Because lenses are such a big part of the movie. Like, sometimes we have a pinhole camera lens. Otherwise, we have, like, a, a, a wide fisheye that looks like I'm going to skate, like like a, an old jackass sketch. Like, I I love the way Lanthimos, like, sees the world. Like, and the way he wants us to see the world through Bella Baxter's eyes is really really great genuinely reminds me of like the best old parts of tim burton like really odd right like those old beetlejuice sets like really strange stuff you know off the wall who's gonna go to this we can only get it in 82 theaters in america it's rated hard r boy poor things is bold cinema Andy, any other thoughts for recommendations i think i'm ready andy would you recommend poor things yeah, absolutely. This is one of the best movies I've seen all year. I've been looking forward to it. It was actually supposed to come out a little bit earlier in the year, but uh, it was delayed because of the uh, writers and actors strikes. Um, I'm glad it was able to come out th- this year. Phenomenal performances by Willem Dafoe, Christopher Abbott, um, Emma Stone, <laughs> of course, uh, all around. And, and a, a great story, like I said, pairs well with something like Barbie. It's about women's issues and women's places in, in the world and the experiences they kind of go through and, and fight against really enjoyed this. I can't wait to see this again in theaters. We should see if we can patron our local drive-in theater to do like a double feature in the middle of the summer, like Barbie and poor things. It'd be super rad. Uh, I, it's a little long at two and a half hours, but let me tell you, poor things is a really good time. Every once in a while, somebody asks me, but you know, on the, on the podcast, what, what's a weird movie you guys watch recently? Something really out there. Poor things will be the answer for a minute. It is so odd. If you are interested, if you think you might be into it, go see it you're probably exactly who the movie's made for like really fun really interesting not for everybody poor things also content warning hard art let me just one more time i just want to put that out there now you guys you heard it here first nobody come back here and tell me you watch poor things and oh it was so dirty and oh it's so weird and i can't believe you recommended that movie how could you you creep none of that all right poor things is cool like i did bringing endorsement from oscar film review uh, yeah, don't, and we don't should watch, don't don't watch it on like Christmas Day with the family. Dude, don't watch with the parents. Yeah, no, 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 not that kind of movie. Anyway, we should talk about what we're doing next week. We got a holiday coming up, Andy. We got to work on a top ten list somewhere in there, which I don't even know if we've figured out yet. Uh, what are we watching next week? Well, Christmas right around the corner, but bold cinema never stops. Uh, we're going to be taking a look at the Iron Claw, which is the Von Erich wrestling film starring uh, Jeremy Allen White, Harris Dickinson. And, of course, uh, the great Zac Efron. I finally remembered everyone's name. I heard a lot of buzz about that. Really excited about that. We're also going to be taking a look at Maestro, which is the Leonard Bernstein uh, biopic that comes out today on Netflix, which uh, stars and directed by Bradley Cooper and also uh, Carey Mulligan. Uh, Those are two we're going to be looking at. Also, just some FYI releases. uh, Christmas Day, uh, The Color Purple and Ferrari come out. And also this Friday, Aquaman and The Lost Kingdom, which is is so small like they didn't do any red carpet premiere they didn't like like talk about the end of the dceu i'm actually still i'm kind of excited about it. i'm definitely gonna go see it i'll be the only one in the theater but uh yeah the end of the dceu is on us 
I tell you what, the other day uh, when I went and saw Wonka, I was standing outside uh, the theater where I saw it, and up on up on the building, the theater building, they had a big big LCD screen, LED screen where they run you know trailers for movies or whatever, and all they were running back to back was Aquaman two promos, right? Jason Momoa, Patrick Wilson, big flash logo, the ice falling down on the thing, wave like, and I just I stood there staring at it for a minute, and I was like, God, it, it almost feels like I'm in a place where the culture cares about Aquaman too. You know what I mean? But like, it's just a flash in the pan. I don't, I don't think people care that much. It might do great, dude. I don't know. I, I don't think it's going to do good, but Christmas is always weird. We'll see. Uh, either way, I didn't see Aquaman 1, and I'd feel weird watching Aquaman 2 without the reference. Uh, I am excited for Maestro. Uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Iron Claw, I think, will be good. I tell you what, though, Andy, I don't think I have much more room but on the top 10 list for good movies in 2023, there's too many good movies. I, I don't, I, it might be a top 20 this year and I don't know when yeah, I'm going to do it, but hopefully it, for, it before have, the new year. Yeah. Uh, 2024 has been really stacked uh, because we had not a lot of movies in like 2020, 2021 and into 2022 because of the pandemic. And now a lot of those things that were greenlit all came out this year. And so we just had a ton. Like I was, I put together my 10, but I have like, five more I need to at least mention and could easily do a top 20. It's been a great year for, for film. Yeah, it's been bananas. Imagine if Dune had been this year. I can't keep up. But if you also are having trouble keeping up with what's coming out, right? Maybe you missed a couple cool features that you wanted to see. Maybe you want to go back and revisit something that you heard about. Uh, you can check us out at offscriptfilmreview.com where all our reviews go up, everything we do. Uh, we're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, all the usual social media places. We're on YouTube. We're posting individual reviews now. Big things going on on the YouTube channel. you got to come check us out. And of course, you may be listening to this right now on one of our podcast outlets, right? iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartMedia, any, any, any one of those usual suspects. Uh, we're available on all of them. And the best way you can help us out, if you want to support the show, right? Uh, free of charge, costs you nothing. Just rate and review or subscribe or comment or like engagement in some fashion, right? Would help us out immensely. So we really appreciate it. And uh, like I said, if you want to see what we're doing, uh, other things we got going on, keep up with our top 10 list coming up, hopefully before the end of the year, still working on them, but we'll finalize them soon. Uh, you can check us out at oscopefilmreview.com. And if you want to email us directly, any messages for your boys here at Oscar Film Review, you can mail us at, email us at mail at oscopefilmreview.com. And I think that wraps episode 237. Why? What a week the movies. Andy, thank you again for phoning in from Florida. I appreciate it. The fans appreciate it. We all appreciate your hard work and effort. And uh, from all of us at Offscript, the home of Bolt Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.